I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss besides rare finds secret shows whether it's a musty concert or a must-have coin curious types crave interesting experiences bitrex is a cryptocurrency exchange empowering traders to feed their curiosity with more than 100 tokens and unparalleled security bitrex offers a platform for next big thing discoverers to dive in get ready to trade beyond the trend discover more at bittrex.com trading involves significant risk of loss and is not suitable for all individuals carefully consider your level of experience and risk before trading Is it acceptable to go to Mickey D's just for a drink? <laughs> of course it is. But good luck leaving with just a drink. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. And right now, a small Minute Maid slushie is just $1.59. So all you have to do is choose a flavor, like the tropical mango or strawberry watermelon, and enjoy like it's meant to be enjoyed. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Savvy Business Radio, drawing out the best from our guests with our host, Christina Nichman. Our guests today are Jim Howden and Rich Behrens of Root Inc. Today we discuss our blind spots stopping your business from thriving. Find out more about Root Inc. at rootinc.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, Rich. Welcome to Savvy Business Radio. How are you this morning or afternoon? <laughs> We are. We're good. We are fantastic, Christina. Thank you. Oh, you betcha. We're glad to have you here today talking about a very important subject I don't think we've ever touched on Savvy Business Radio, and that is what is your blind spot as a potential leader of a company or in your life? Uh, often, uh, business owners will start, they'll have great intentions, they'll have a great product or service, and they'll start doing well. They'll get some clients, and they'll start on that momentum package uh, you know, forward, and then all of a sudden, things will start to halt or actually go backwards. And you found there's, there's actual reasons why businesses don't succeed. 
And that is often the blind spot that leadership has. So we're going we're gonna to go into that. You also wrote a wonderful book called The Art of Engagement, Bridging the Gap Between People and Possibilities. Awesome. So before we get started, share each of you a little bit about your background. What brought you to creating Root Inc., your company? Well, maybe I'll start and then Rich can jump in, uh, Christina. So, um, you know, I, I think that we actually started the business as sort of trend people. And so what we did is, you know, we would get in a hot air balloon and look at all these forces of change in the environment. And we, we really believe that, you know, the future could be right for those people that saw possibilities before they became obvious. So we would provoke senior leaders to, to look at these forces of change and learn how to ride them versus be swamped by them. Uh, inevitably, when we did this in strategic planning sessions, we would toast our collective brilliance at the bar after a few days and then bring it back to the organization and it was dead on arrival. Uh, so really, we've changed our view from success is determined by the learning speed of the brightest few to it is really determined by the understanding, the embracement, and the advocacy of the slowest many people in an organization. And so that became sort of our inspiration and that is how do we sort of ignite people to get off the bench and into their workaday lives and how do we have leaders that can help them do just that mm. wow I love that and uh, what's your take Jim yeah and uh, no, that was that was Jim so so rich on, okay. on this and Christina yeah I, I think uh, um, Jim 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 kind of nailed it right in terms of the the origin there was a there was a frustration and an excitement in our work. The frustration was that the strategy and, and trend work wasn't kind of being received and cascaded effectively. And then the excitement was that there's a real gap, right? And there's a real opportunity mm -hmm. to, to, to do things differently. And, and, uh, and, and over the past 20 years, we haven't worked with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and connecting them to their strategy. It's just been enormously exciting to, to see what can happen when you connect dots, when you unleash that dormant human capital, and then you get really people in the game in a different way, right? And so that's, that's kind of the journey we've been on. And, and that's also what triggered us kind of writing this, this current book, because as we were working with leaders, we, we, we saw some things consistently that, that they weren't doing or embracing that, that really get in the way of effective engagement. Wow. And I told you guys before the interview that I really, really like this topic because I've been in the corporate America now almost 30 years and also consulted for at least five. And I've seen this disengagement more than ever in the past several years. And, and when I talk to the employees, when I go into consult and I, I ask them, what is their take? They're like, whatever, it's a paycheck. And, you know, we had said before, who wants to get up in the morning and feel like their whole life is worth nothing? That I go in there just to like a paycheck feel like I accomplished nothing, no productivity, and then I came home and did it all over again. I'm pretty sure that's not what we signed up on, on this planet to do. So what, what's kind of brought this all about? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? And it, it runs pretty deep, but just to even put some, mm -hmm. some more numbers by that, Christina, right? I think we've got, if you look at the workforce, and as, as you said, most of us didn't, didn't sign up just to sort of punch in and, and, and punch out and, mm -hmm. and are excited to be average in, in kind of what we do, right? And and the numbers will show you that, that between 50 to 70% of, of people are somewhere between indifferent and disengaged about their job, right? And which, which, is, which is devastating if you think about it. it. It's terrible from a productivity standpoint, right? Uh, but it's also uh, a bit of a human travesty, right? Where the, the place where most of us spend most of our time, uh, we, are, we are, you know, at best just kind of showing up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and that's just fundamentally not good enough. So you have to ask yourself the question, why, why, why is that, right? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and in many ways, we all own our own engagement, but more than anything else, it's, 
it's not just an engagement crisis. What we found is that there's a bit of a, of a leadership crisis, right? And so, so leaders have a certain set of beliefs. A lot of them still based on sort of the industrial, um, you know, era way of thinking and leading that, that are still infiltrating how we lead organizations today. And, and it's, it's a lot of it is human nature. There's certain blind spots in it, right? They, when we started looking and, and, and in the, the beginning of our book, we say what, what human beings often do is what, what we consider normal one day, Mm-hmm. We seem we find unacceptable the next. So if you go to the 1890s, right? We had we had cocaine laced cough drops for kids and thought that was sort of a normal way of of, of treating that. And yeah. in the 50s, we we looked at smoking, right? And it was recommended by by doctors and dentists, and they they touted the health benefits. In the 70s, we were still talking about carbonated soft drinks as something we would mix in with uh with with baby formula, right? To get our toddlers going in the morning. And we look at some of those things in retrospect, and we go, well, that's crazy. That's, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? Uh-huh. And uh, because we have a we have a different mindset and different experience base, and there's some leadership practices that we still do today that that we find I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll look back ten or twenty year, years from now and go, well, that's crazy. I can't believe we thought that was good and effective leadership, right? And that's really why we wrote where we wrote this book to kind of create awareness to these practices, mm-hmm. often with the best of intentions that we still live that um, that just don't work and perpetuate this level of disengagement in our organization. So tell me, what, what worked in the 50s that clearly doesn't work today? And why, why did it work then, but the leadership uh, structure that they did then doesn't work with today's market and safety force? Well, you know, I, I, I think in the 50s, uh, and again, I wasn't there, but I, but I have a, a sense of, of the, the remnants of it. But, but, but in the 50s, I think there was a whole different expectation of work. I, I still think it was coming out of the industrial and not fully you know, realize to where we're at today. But, but, you know, I think, you know, there was, there was a sense that you go to work and at work, you sort of get the rewards that you can go live your life. And so there was this distinction of expectations between, you know, I will suck it up and I will bear it out at work. And then I can go home and decide, well, how do I live a fulfilling life? Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. There's not a millennial that I've met under 35 that doesn't have the same expectations for the workplace that they have for their own personal life. As a matter of fact, Rich and I often talk about, you know, what would it be like if on your deathbed you said, I wish I had one more day at the office? And, you know, and we rarely hear that, but the question is, why shouldn't we? Why don't we disrupt this belief that joy and love and a sense of fulfillment and a sense of being the person you can be happens outside the work versus in the work? And I, and I think that's what we're after. I think that the expectations have changed of, of most people in the workplace. I think the times have changed in terms of the, the innovation and creativity we need from people. And I think the one thing that hasn't changed possibly is, is the, the beliefs and assumptions that leaders have about their people. Yes. Uh, and, and it's not only the least beliefs and assumptions. You know, Christina, we found an interesting bit of research that actually shows the more of an accomplished leader you become, there's a chemical change in your brain and the mirror system of the brain that actually makes you less able to empathetically understand what your people think and feel. And whoa. so that- Whoa, 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 becomes, go back. How, what's going on there? What, what's happening when that happens? Explain, I, I'm curious. Well, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm a neuroscience, but I think <laughs> what happens is, you know, you know, you become more and more distant to, to the empathy that's required to be in contact with your people, and you do not create the systems, practices, and habits to recover it. Now, we do this with our customers, our external customers. So 
you know, we may not be empathetic with our customers because we're trying to get what we want to accomplish in our organization. Mm -hmm. So company after company goes out and tries to develop insights and intimacy with their customers. So they almost force themselves back to that empathetic position. I think we are very slow to do that with our own people. And yet our own people are customers of our strategies and our ambitions and our aspirations and our dreams. And so how do we coach ourselves back to that empathy as leaders, which I don't think we've had a whole lot of experiences from our mentors mm-hmm. on first, why that's important and second, how to do that. Wow. This is fascinating to me. Now explain something I've noticed. I don't know if there's something behind it, but walking into organizations, I've noticed that of every team I meet, there's usually at least one, maybe two max that is pulling the whole team that is rocking it, putting their full effort and, and, and often not getting rewarded, of course, uh, sadly today, but they're putting their full effort and, and strategies and skills behind their job and the rest are not. So why would like maybe 20% of each area give their most and the rest do not? What is it about that, that 20% that, that does engage more? Yeah, I think that there's a variety of, yeah, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I think I think there's a variety of, of, of different reasons, right? I think there is is uh, uh and, and and you're about right. You, you you know in most organizations you you tend to have about twenty or thirty percent who are mm-hmm. who are in the game almost no no matter what, right? It's a little bit in their wiring, mm-hmm. uh and and uh um and, and, and that's of a huge advantage. But if you start digging digging into that a little bit deeper, what you'll also often find too is that that either um the the connection to uh, their manager is a stronger one, right? That, that the way their manager was able to draw the line between what they do and how it contributes to the organization uh, is a stronger one. Uh, it is that the, the, role full, that the role that they're serving is more that plays to their strengths. Um, so there's, there's a variety of things that, that, that often lay underneath that drive a greater level of engagement. Uh-huh. Um, that that kind of drives those twenty or thirty percent uh, uh-huh. to to be more in the game, right? And then and then you have some natural wiring, right? Some people mm-hmm. will kind of go more with the flow, and they'll be with you no matter what, even if they don't have all the answers, even if the environment is a little bit frustrating. And then there's mm-hmm. others who who need to create, who need to have that stronger line of sight, uh, and and it's sort of that middle fifty percent that ultimately is where the the battle of engagement and disengagement tends to be lost in most organizations. Wow, and you know, it, on that, on that topic to Christina, we, we actually do that um, with our own research. And that is, you know, really try to understand why high performers are high performers and, and the rest is not. And, and I'd say there's probably two additional things to what Rich said. I think the high performers almost have this intuitive sense of what not to do, even not doing things that they're being told that might, might really uh, give them the opportunity to spend the, things on, the time on the things that make a difference. And I think for a lot of the 50%, they're trying to just follow orders. And there's a, there's a sense of fear and there's a sense of intimidation that, you know, I just need to follow what I'm being told. I'm being, you know, often it's a direct tell and sell that I'm receiving. And so I'll do my best to do that. But in the end, you know, it, it, all the things that are unique to them, all the creativity, all the special skills just don't come out. Yeah. Uh, so the ones, the ones in the 20% figure out how to do that without permission the, one, the rest of them are still playing it to not screw up. That, that is really telling. What, what I've seen and that fear thing you mentioned is so prevalent in, in a lot of organizations I go into and speak to 
the employees, there's this underlying sense of I'll lose my job. And, and then I see in some organizations, what's really sad is they feel like no matter what I do, I'm in danger of losing my job. So then you get to a point where, well, why do I even bother? Let me just skip to a new job. And here's something I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed in your research is that millennials more than any other group are jumping from job to job to job to job. And they're not being fulfilled in, in one job after another. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. I think on the millennial question, you're, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, we, which is one of the reasons why we're starting to see some traction with organizations, right? Because there's ultimately millennials will, will look for organizations who are purpose-driven, right? Who, who, who ask the why, not just um, how much money do we make. So they, 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 they will care about the work environment. They will care about what their company does and how it does it. And so if, if you want to these days attract the best talent, you're going to have to start creating workplaces that, 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 that cater to that, right? That truly believe that, that embrace that. So I think that's a, that's a key element. And then, Christine, you touched on the fear piece, right? And that's, yeah. that's absolutely critical. And it's, it's, it's interesting for leaders to think about. We find that even a lot of leaders who obviously don't want to create a fear-based environment still have one. And that's because a lot of the natural sort of structures and systems in an organization move towards creating that, right? As a leader, you're often the last to know. People don't want to give you bad news. There's all kinds of mechanisms that get in the way and, um, and, and concerns that people have. So as a leader, you need to be very proactive. Just to, to give you as an example, from an employee standpoint, why might we not tell the truth, right? It's, it's uh, um, do I get to play less? Do I, have, uh, do I get less responsibilities? Is it, will people think less of me, right? Is it, is it a career-limiting move? Why these are all the bubbles the quote bubbles we have in our heads that kind of get us to think twice on whether we should say something critical. Mm-hmm. And so if as a leader, I don't create the environment where I consciously say that's okay and I embrace it, that mm-hmm. tends to be the default mechanism, right? And so, so you have to have this real level of awareness as a leader that um, these things will naturally happen unless you counter them at every step of the way. Wow. Here's something I've noticed uh, with leadership. When I've met with the employees and I've talked to them, then I meet with the managers, supervisors, and leaders. And often they're on two different pages. The leaders will think the company's rocking. We really don't have any problems. We're just here to help you with, we're here, we're having you here today, help us with productivity and get our people bringing us more. Um, But they don't really see a problem with their leadership the way the company's going. Everything's fabulous. I'm like, everything's fabulous. I wouldn't be here right now. Um, But why is there such a disconnect? <laughs> I know, seriously. Why is there such a disconnect between the employees and the leadership? Why do they not like on the same page? I, you know, I, I think it's really a, a really a good question, and and um, I, I think part of that is that leaders. I mean, I guess the simplest way that we, we, we I would say it is that leaders still haven't figured out that the boldest thing they can do is be vulnerable with their people. Mm. Um, and, and the, for that reason, leaders have these concerns of, you know, any critique might be an indictment of my leadership. Sometimes even the need to change is an indictment of my leadership. You know, if I don't have all the answers, will I, will, am I as good as, as, as they might think I am? Will I be found out? You know, will, if, so if I let somebody complain, you know, is, is that just the opening of a, a, a complete, you know, dissatisfaction session? And, and so, and they're, they're not comfortable with their vulnerability. And so to some extent, you know, they're, they're trying to do everything they can to sort of put a, a face and a spin on things are going well and, you know, and we need to do better yeah. rather than being very honest with their people and saying, you know, what are the areas we should be creatively dissatisfied with 
that we don't tell ourselves the truth on, mm. starting with, you know, with our strategy or maybe our, maybe our culture or our leadership behaviors. And what we find is that if leaders can find a way to lead that vulnerability, others will come out and begin to really tell you what, what you, they think and feel. We do a little joke sometimes where we say in front of a room, the only three places we tell the truth in our organizations are at the hallways, bathroom, and water cooler. And how many people after a, a meeting or a presentation went into the bathroom with somebody they trust but had to bend down to see if anybody else was in the stall before they actually said anything? Yeah. You know, the, and the room erupts, erupts in laughter because everybody has been there. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. to say what you think and feel. And leaders perpetuate that out of their own fear that they, that, you know, they, they will be seen less than mm-hmm. when in fact, when they become open to that, they become much stronger than any mm-hmm. of the leaders we've ever seen. And they actually can drive meaningful change. You know, realism is the heart of execution and engagement. And so, you know, the, the inability to invite that suggests that it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, of a, of a sort of a, a square off where we're just not going to tell each other what we really think and feel. And, and that's destructive to the outcome. It's destructive to the culture and it's really destructive to, to the engagement of people because if you don't want to tell the truth, then I've got to figure out how to play your game of playing it safe. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're all playing politicians here. <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 there's a good amount of that, right? But the other yeah. thing is I think there is um, – Sometimes the listening versus telling, right? Because it's, if we're sort of feeling this is all going great, why are you not? Why are you guys not engaged? That's sometimes just the the act of not listening. Well, I I can't tell you how often, Christina, we we uh, we've gotten called in because an organization has had the strategy work done. There is the the 200 page deck of brilliance sitting there, right? And they said, and we've we've had a town hall, but you know nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to be getting it. No, nobody is excited, right? And, and what we'll often say is, well, yeah, you guys, you guys for the last three or four months worked this thing in detail, right? And you put on a 60-minute um, a webcast or a town hall meeting where you discuss this and you tell everybody and then you wonder why nothing's changing because ultimately you never made them part of the process, right? It, it just got uh, put on them. And, 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 and people will tolerate what you have to say, mm-hmm. but they act based on their own conclusions, right? And so how do we get people to be part of that process? And very often we forget to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and when that happens, they, they, they don't play along in the same way. You don't get the discretionary energy that you might otherwise uh, are able to access. You guys uh, touched on something so important. When you talk about a listening versus telling environment, um, I've gone into places where you know, employees will tell me, hey, I was told to voice my opinion, to be open. It is a really a culture of understanding and working together. But they felt that when they did speak out, they actually got in trouble. And uh, so they really didn't have an environment of listening. Of course, it was the, the leadership was like, oh, we have a listening slash, you know, uh, telling environment. But yeah, it's like where you tell and they listen. Is that how it works? <laughs> so it, it really wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't on both sides, if you know what I mean. It was on one side. It's like, yeah, we're the leaders. We tell and then you listen. <laughs> That's right. This actually, um, this actually goes to one of our blind spots. And, you know, one of the blind spots is, is about trust. And that fundamentally is, you know, do we believe that, we have to tell our people what to do and hold them accountable to do it. And sometimes do we believe that either because of consistency of process or consistency of, you know, of expectations or brand. But I, I think what you just said, it's really important that 
we began to ask, do we see our people just as implementers of what we decided? Mm -hmm. Or do we see them as creators of something better than we could have ever scripted for them? Mm -hmm. And in our experience, what, what really engagement is all about is, is not a survey and it's not if you have a best friend at work and a bunch of other stuff that we've sort of used as, as the barometer. It's really, do you believe that if I was able to co-think the business with you, I could come up with better ideas than you ever gave me and that that would differentiate us in the marketplace in powerful ways. And when you do believe that, mm -hmm. then what you do is you try to take the drama of the business to your people to co-think with you, to co-challenge, to co-examine, and then to co-create where we ought to go. And then it's on fire because people feel the dignity of, of being valued and even more, they feel the investment and the ownership of the most critical challenges we need to solve. If you only see your people as an implementer, then you know, you're know you just trying to get them to do something and you kind of wish we had 100 people just like me if they would go do what I think they should go do. And that's a, that's an absolute complete non-starter. Yeah. It, it just simply doesn't work. And, you know, and, and I can't tell you how many times we, we still see that leaders, you know, out of a sense of maybe experience in Six Sigma or Lean where human variability should be eliminated, they're trying to get one way to do it. And, you know, from our view, human variability is what makes it exceptional. And mm -hmm. so how do we add that to what we're asking our people to do in terms of thinking about improving the results of our business and the experiences of our customers and all the things that really matter? Mm -hmm. and, and I think one thing that's really important here. Mm -hmm. um, is is from a from a from a leadership standpoint is you know most of our leaders will tell us that no no we we trust our people we empower our people right but then you look at the the, the processes and the rules that are in place and the the truth is that's really not the case mm -hmm. right and so so I think what we really challenge leaders to do is look at your organization look at the setup look at how you're running it and are you really trusting right I mean one one comparison we we always give is. You, you know, if you think of a, um, a roundabout and an intersection, right? And yeah. an intersection is all about rules and regulations, right? And you will, if something happens, you know exactly who kind of went, um, who, who made the mistake. Uh, a roundabout is much more about trust and collaboration, right? It's much more of a kind of a flow, a lot less rules. And now one tends to work a lot faster, but there's more ambiguity. The mm -hmm. other one has lots of rules, um, a little less trust. Mm -hmm. and tends to be a lot less effective. And so the fundamental question as a leader is, is your core philosophy, are you running your business more like kind of like an intersection with lots of, lots of rules and regulations or more like a roundabout where you mm -hmm. kind of define the basic rules but then let people figure it out themselves, right? And, mm -hmm. and more often than not, people will talk about empowerment and trust, but really the way the organization is structured and set up, it's much more like an intersection, meaning everything is defined and we really don't give you a whole lot of room to, to be your best self. Wow. I like that you mentioned roundabout because when I was visiting Oshkosh, Wisconsin, they had a bunch of them and we don't have that much in New York. So I was like, I love these roundabouts. <laughs> it gets you places quicker. <laughs> it it well, can really, it takes a little bit of getting used to, right? Yeah. And then a little bit of you kind of try to figure out the rules the first time. But once you get the, uh, you know, you can kind of get a hold of it, you're like, this is, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. I, I think we need more here. I don't know if it work in New York with the cab drivers, but <laughs> but I think it will definitely work in business. And you mentioned something before that I loved, which was leadership and accountability, uh, excuse me, uh, vulnerability, for me, then leads to accountability. And for a perfect example, one of the leaders I worked with 20 years ago at a company, 
he had made a huge mistake that cost us a, a huge order that really it, it killed our bonus at the end of the year. And I was really admired him because he got up before the entire company and said, I messed up. I, it was my orders. We went forward and it was a, it was a big loss, but I take full responsibility. We won't have bonuses thanks to my mistake and it won't happen again. Now, what can we do to make this better? But what was incredibly different about that approach is that we were behind him because we felt like he took responsibility as a leader and then he took accountability and then we, as employees did the same we're like okay what part did we play in causing this downfall yeah that's right i think, I, I think you're absolutely correct on that i mean i think we find time and time again that if the leader doesn't become vulnerable as a co-author to some of your current state then everybody's trying to look for the other guy as the problem or they and 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 but when they are vulnerable it quickly goes to we and it quickly becomes pure accountability that takes over and says, what do we not like and how are we going to change it? And it's amazing how that works uh, every single time we've seen it. Mm, yeah. And, and it almost goes it's like from an instinctual standpoint, right? As a leader, the, the, the initial instinct might be, I'm not going to do that because I look weak, mm -hmm. right? But the reality is, and, and, and it, it can be difficult to do, but the reality is, is when you do that and you show that kind of vulnerability, it's amazing how actually in, in most instances, that strengthens you as a leader and the credibility with your people and how you now create an environment that makes it safe for others to do the same. And the way information will travel, the way people will rally tends to be very, very different. And so it's, it's almost a counterintuitive thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but your example is a great one, right? And, and look, 20 years later, you still talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. He was a tremendous, I've had a couple of really tremendous owners and, and bosses I've worked with. And most of the time it was because they empowered the people. And I mean, really empower, not just talk empowerment, uh, but actually would give you the tools and let you run with them. One of my favorite bosses of all times would always push you to your limits and say, okay, if something's not working, what are your plan A, B, C, and D? I want you to come in here with actions and but he didn't just say that because there's, there's leaders i've worked with that say that i want that for my people but when they bring them um you know ideas they're like they shoot them all down so but when you really empower and say hey i i do trust you i trust your not only abilities and skills but your opinion and ways to get this result and then take them under account and really use them if necessary yep yep yeah totally well, agree yeah, this has been a fascinating talk that we could go on for hours, but I want people to go out there and get your book because they can implement this into their company and also hopefully maybe work with you guys. Share that with them where they, where they can find out more about your company. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, the book is called uh, What Are Your Blind Spots? Uh, the Five Misconceptions That Hold Leaders Back. You should be able to get it in most bookstores. You can certainly get it on Amazon, uh, also in a Kindle and in an audio version. I think the other thing uh, that's worth um, talking about is, uh, and, and, and this is a, a, a free resource, you'll also find there an assessment if you want to self-assess uh, on the five blind spots, right? And so that, that's a resource that's available um, in, in the book and, and, uh, and, and the website that's referenced in there. And yeah, from a company standpoint, I mean, we are all in the business of engaging the hearts and minds of people and aligning, uh, aligning them to the strategy of the organization, right? So how do you enhance engagement? How do you maximize productivity? How do you how do you unleash that dormant human capital and really activate strategies while you do it? And so uh, we, uh, we are always uh, open to any conversations. This is, as you can tell, something that is not just a job for us. This is something that we're deeply passionate about and we're looking to make uh, real change. And we've had the, the opportunity to have uh, made changes with, with hundreds and hundreds of, of, of uh, multi-billion dollar companies over the last 20 years.
And where can they find Root Inc? Is it rootinc.com or what's the website? Yeah, www.rootinc.com. Awesome, awesome. So everyone go out to rootinc.com, check them out, but get the book today so you can find out what your possible blind spots are because you might think you're rocking and rolling, but maybe you're not exploding as much as you could as a business. So what are your blind spots? Go get it today. And the art of engagement, also a great way to really connect with your people. And I just have to thank you again, Rich and Jim, for coming today to share your great wisdom on Savvy Business Radio. Hey, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Christina. Yeah, thanks for having us. Savvy Business Radio broadcasts worldwide via a large podcast network celebrating business owners, entrepreneurs, influencers, and successful individuals. Find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest. Call 732-474-7375 or email Christina at SavvyBusinessRadio.com. Besides rare finds, secret shows, whether it's a must-see concert or a must-have coin, curious types crave interesting experiences. Bittrex is a cryptocurrency exchange empowering traders to feed their curiosity. With more than 100 tokens and unparalleled security, Bittrex offers a platform for next big thing discoverers to dive in. Get ready to trade beyond the trend. Discover more at bittrex.com. Trading involves significant risk of loss and is not suitable for all individuals. Carefully consider your level of experience and risk before trading. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.